Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 28th, 2024. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, and uh, Catherine will be calling in any second as well. But until then, um, I did want to set up the show. This is going to be the first time in our new format that we have a guest. Wendy Davis, who has been on our show so many times before, is going to come on and be our um first initial guest with this new audio format so excited to have wendy to come on to talk about really just issues not only in georgia but across the nation so that'll be about 20 minutes into the show but until then we've got a, a myriad of things to talk about and typically when elections go on we talk about elections but this past friday um and we want to welcome in now Catherine smith to the show welcome Catherine. greetings from atlanta yes um, well, and we're going to start off then with this um, latest uh, verdict um, with Donald Trump. I mean, seemingly Donald Trump is in court just continually um, in, in recent months. But this past week, I think this verdict was a little more important because, one, Trump is very motivated by money and he's been ordered to pay, I believe, an additional 83 or does it bring the total to 83 million dollars, Tim? It, it uh, this decision is eighty three point three million by itself. Yes, and, and so obviously that motivates Donald Trump because he's motivated by money, um, and and also it was a reaffirmation of the jury's finding that Donald Trump did sexually assault Mrs. Jean Carroll. Um, I, and here's the thing that is so troubling and ironic and everything else is. The defense that Rudy Giuliani and others have made have said he didn't rape her. He sexually assaulted her like that's loads better. Um, It's just baffling if that's your defense here. Um, Catherine, you've read the verdict. or I mean, not like page to page, but you saw the reports. What's your thoughts on, um, you know, really more like the case, the political impact of this? I don't think I don't think it'll make much difference with his base. They don't care. Obviously, we've learned that. But, you know, I, I hope that it would persuade some, you know, people who might be on the fence. I don't know how you could be on the fence about Donald Trump, but I'm sure there are some people to be like, OK, this is enough, you know. Um, but I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this and the appeal and everything later. Yes. Um, Yeah. yeah, We'll we'll get into all facets of this before we move on to anything else. Um, Tim, the $83 million verdict, the fallout from it, what is your initial thoughts? Well, uh, for starters, the jury obviously was not impressed with Trump or his (laughs) lawyers. I mean, E. Jean Carroll, I, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this, she had asked for a minimum of $10 million. Her lawyers were hoping for twenty more, uh, $24 million. She gets $83.3 million from this jury. Uh, and, you know, one of the fallouts is financially. The way this works, if he wants to appeal, he has to produce the full amount of the award which would then be held in a bond. Otherwise, no appeal. Uh, And all of this, because 
he simply won't shut his mouth, guys. He he claims he never heard of her and how she made all this up in order to boost sales of her memoir. And playing the political victim is not helping Trump in these cases. It might help him with his base, but you know what? He doesn't need any help with his base. His base is going to follow him straight down the road like, the, you know, the 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 mice with the Pied Piper. So I don't see how Trump benefits politically from any of this because he's not enlarging the group of voters he's going to get with these cases. Yeah, I wonder if he even has it. I, I did see that apparently that part of this case leading up to this, they're monitoring what he does with his money and um, I saw Rachel Bittenkoffer. She said that he um, uh, transferred about $50 million around somewhere. And I'm like, is that most of it? I don't know. it Because we never see his tax returns. We don't really know exactly how much he's worth. <coughs> Could he actually come up with this amount? No, I think we heard. to pay it. I think we learned that he cannot, that he does not have the money. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, so therefore he uh, can't I, make let me, let me just correct that. He does right. not have the cash on hand he has properties that he could maybe sell but even so um it's not it he can't like write the check yet and who knows what you know maybe he could sell that golf course let uh his ex-wife rest in peace away from him (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he owns a, a bunch of properties, and I'm sure some are in great locations, but, you know, it's not liquid. Um, and it's not about, like, oh, you know, the, the financial implications. It's like this guy is trying to be president and just won't give it up because I think he sees becoming president again as a way to get out of this and every other legal proceeding he is, um, you know, facing. Tim, let's say he chooses not to or not to appeal and not to pay. What can happen to him between now and November? Um, I, I'm, I'm sure that's already been discussed <laughs> with his attorneys, and they've probably already come up with some way to delay, delay, delay. Yeah, we're going to appeal. Yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah, we're going to, to do that. I don't know exactly how long you have before you file an appeal. Perhaps it's, I don't know if it's 30 days, 90 days. I don't, I don't know what the law is in New York State about that. But I think they will appeal every minute as long as they can before they're forced to make any move. And in the meantime, he might be looking around for sources to get the money from other than his own pocket. Yeah, I don't think that judge is going to have much patience for delays and and grandstanding. Yeah. Yeah, and and I even wonder. Now, of course, a a world in which Donald Trump is president again, um you you begin to think well, a lot of the laws may get thrown out anyway, but let's say he does come up with that 83 million point 83.3 million and puts it in some type of bond but then he um becomes president would he try to get it back somehow 
even regardless of however the appeal turned out, would he, um, you know, call the the appeal um, invalid? I can tell you what he'd do there. If he becomes president in his mind, all bets are going to be off, and they can't do anything to me because I'm president, and I dare him to try. That's exactly the stance he's going to take. We know that's the stance he's going to take. That's the way he acted as president before. I'm the president. I can do anything I want to. What are you all going to do about it? That. That's exactly the stance he's going to take. Yes, and this is a state uh, case, correct? right? Yeah, exactly. He don't care. So therefore, he probably one thing he he will do is he probably unless he has to and he may have to for some of these other trials avoid going to New York um, because New York wouldn't have jurisdiction outside of New York unless I guess I don't know if states could help. With that or what have you. Here we are. Here we are talking about a president of the United States that might avoid going to one of the states because he might be (laughs) in legal jeopardy in some way of going. And and not not just any state, but the state where the United Nations headquarters are, and and you know where he was from. Yeah, yeah, his birthplace. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and a state with a lot of population and influence yeah. on the American economy. And to think, yeah, and to think that there are people that are just seriously going to vote for him anyway. And I guess in their minds, they deny any of this is real. I I don't know. They don't they don't believe their own eyes and ears. Uh, they certainly don't believe the news on television. And they're gonna they're willing to vote for him anyway. Man, what have we come to? Yeah, I I do think this that um this is where it'll have the biggest impact in the general, this and probably some of these other proceedings. You know, i guess there were some folks that were like Donald Trump was just a legal and ethical, you know, quandary that they couldn't vote for. They were generally Republican leaning voters. But um, they voted for, or they either, you know, didn't vote or voted for Joe Biden in 2020. But then they were like, oh, inflation's bad. And I, I thought Trump did well on the economy. You know, we hear that echoed, even though it's really um, a, a specious argument. Um, and then some of them, I think, were leaning maybe more towards, you know, overlooking these ethical issues. I think a portion of those, if not even most of those type of voters now, go back to where they were in 2020 and say, I'm either not going to vote for him, vote for some third party candidate, or I'm going to vote for Joe Biden again. And in the certain states, if there's enough of those voters, that could have a real impact. Um, Catherine, do you see that being the biggest um, possibility or is there something else I'm missing? Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think that's the biggest potential but i don't know i i I just don't understand how people could vote for him it's mind-boggling to me so it's really hard for me to uh uh imagine what could happen i I, i'm sorry i'm not i I guess i'm not very prepared for that question yeah well and i know a lot of times we just have conversations that go all kind of ways 
Tim, um, kind of a same in the same vein, and I do want to add one more layer to it for you. Um, because of the economy issue, inflation's getting better. The economy is seen by the American people is getting better. You told me one time that you had a lot of folks that you had talked to, um, or you'd heard them say this, not that you necessarily personally talked to them, that they talked about how good uh, their 401k and their retirement accounts were in the period between 2016 and 2020. Well, I know that the uh, stock market had these huge gains and me personally, um, I don't know if it's percentage wise, but as far as dollars gained over a quarter, my 401k actually had its best quarter. I can remember, uh, and this is going back to the mid 1990s, um, this past quarter. And so a lot of these arguments that people I think used to justify overlooking Donald Trump's um, issues are starting to kind of fade away, aren't they? Yes, they are. And generally, the first thing people vote, no, no matter who the candidates are, is their pocketbook. And if people think the economy's doing okay, they generally reward the guy that's in office. Uh, you combine that with the following. Uh, Donald Trump made a not insignificant group of people just exhausted, tired of listening to him and dealing with his chaos. And, you know, they were just wishing him gone. And, and those people went out to the polls in 2020 and registered how they felt. If this time, the election is about the opponent other than the incumbent. How can the opponent win with the baggage he's bringing in with him? I don't see how he can. No, no. I think this was a really good week uh, for Joe Biden, a really bad week for Donald Trump. So let's get to that, because even if it was kind of unofficial on the Democratic side, the first Actual ballots were cast in New Hampshire. Joe Biden didn't appear on the ballots. And yet as a write-in, and that's including people that probably spell Biden with two I's and Biden with uh, two D's and everything else, and they have to overlook a lot of those ballots, he still received a larger percentage of the vote than Bill Clinton in 96 running as an incumbent and Barack Obama running as an incumbent in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, Catherine, how stunned were you by that write-in vote result in New Hampshire? I was shocked by that. I mean, just because, you know, not, not because I don't think Biden's doing a great job and all that, but just the process of having to write it in and, and no opponent, you know, I, I mean, I just, I think it's really kind of amazing. Go Joe. Yeah, uh, Tim, same question there. Um, I, I mean, I, I was personally very stunned. I knew he was going to win. I mean, or at least I strongly felt that way. Uh, but the margin, when you compared it to both Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. Well, uh, when I first heard about this write-in effort, I thought, you know, this isn't going to amount to much, but it amounted to a lot. Biden got uh, right at 64% of the vote, uh, there was over uh, 
a hundred thousand people took part in in this part of the campaign uh and he did have some opponents on the ballot and like you know williamson she got like four percent of the vote uh the cumulative other write-ins got more votes than she did uh and uh dean phillips got less than 20 percent of the vote he was out there campaigning as a u.s congressman as hard as he could go by the way david just so you'll know my guy berman supreme got 910 votes your guys um the, paper boy paper yeah paper boy, boy he only yeah paper boy prince he only got 322 votes so if we were wagering anything, you owe me, okay? Yeah. yeah. Well, Catherine's <laughs> opponent may have beat us both. Uh, Catherine, did you have one of these uh, colorful <laughs> characters you were rooting for? No, I, I, I apologize. I wasn't rooting for anybody. Well, I tried to tell you, David, there's something about a guy that wears a boot backwards and upside down on his head. You know what yeah, I mean? I, <laughs> I tell you what. If the no labels ticket puts Berman Supreme and Paperboy Prince, Lover Prince, or whatever it is, if they put them together, uh, Trump and Biden both may be in trouble. I mean, that, that, that's a powerhouse there. Well, let's uh, let's um, also mention another. I, I want to talk about another facet of this. Seriously, we have a sitting congressman that is, for some reason, entered into this quixotic campaign against president biden dean phillips from minnesota we have marion williamson who ran last time and gained a bit of a national profile and has decided to seek re-election again all of these people that ran in the republican primary when they did poorly and we're gonna you know we're gonna talk about nikki haley later but the ron DeSantis's and the vivek ramaswamy's when they did poorly they dropped out so Catherine, when will dean phillips and Marion Williamson, and you can, you know, answer them, you know, separately from each other. When will they see the writing on the wall and drop out? Well, I think it'll be a while for Marianne Williamson, just because she, I, from all appearances, doesn't have, you know, she's a writer, uh, lecturer, so she has time. I don't know how much money she has, but. You know, for what she the campaign she's running, she doesn't need much money. Um, so I, I, I think she'll hang out as long as she feels like she's had has a chance to talk about the things that are important to her. Um, Dean, uh, he'll he's got to drop out, right? I mean, is he running for Congress? I think he's either vacating that seat or the people the Democrats have recruited a better candidate to um, try to replace him. Well, depending on how much money he's spending, he'll then he'll probably stay until he's out of money. Yeah, I, I just think it's kind of vexing that that you know people like Vivek Ramaswamy that don't have anything else to do, they got out, and now we, we're stuck with these two um, that can't see the writing on the wall. Tim, same question: um, Why won't they, or when will they give it up? You know, that's a good question for which I have no answer. I do agree that Marianne Williamson will will not get out. She'll just roll along and roll along. And I really don't know what Dean Phillips was thinking, unless he was in the, well, I'll be there in case lightning strikes uh, school, you know, if, 
if yeah. God forbid something should happen to president that makes the president not able to, uh, you know, run for re-election, he'll be right there to step into the gap. But that's a mighty big if at this point. And, well, it's a mighty big if. And what makes him think that he'll be the one that everyone will uh, rally behind? Yeah, he, he thinks because he's in the race already, that's that's. That that'll give him the leg up, which of course is absurd. At, right? <laughs> yeah. It, uh, you, you know, um, I mean, this guy's on a quixotic type uh, thing, and you know, he's going to be, you know, a very small footnote in this campaign. He should, you know, just go away. Yeah, I, I really don't know what he was thinking with his career. Um, I mean, even if he was just tired of, you know, serving in Congress, just, you know, say you're not going to run for reelection next time and then quietly go away. Um, I don't know where this is getting you unless you just really um, don't want Joe Biden to win and you want to try to hurt him in any way possible. And he says that's not the case. Well, let's move over to the Republican side real quick. And um, Nikki Haley, she had a better New Hampshire than um, she did in Iowa, but am I thinking she it wasn't good enough? Um, Catherine, what's your take? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good enough. Yeah, yeah. she needs to drop out, or I don't know what whatever. I mean, she she's uh, not doing herself any good anymore. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, but that does go back to kind of what we started off with, and we'll get back to that. Um, Tim, um, your thoughts on Nikki Haley's showing in New Hampshire? Well, uh, it was good, not good enough, as y'all said. She lost by 11 points. She did get some delegates, uh, but uh, it looks like she's going to make her last stand in South Carolina. Good luck to her there because it's more like Iowa. And she's over 20 points down in compilation polling. And she has absolutely nowhere to go after that. Yeah. um, And that will, let's get back into that initial question with Nikki Haley in mind. Um, She uh, is the alternative now, really the only alternative, unless we get into Ryan Binkley or something, to Donald Trump. Given the new allegations, does she possibly grow her support with two groups? One, people that are saying, I'm repulsed by what Donald Trump did. And two, enough American voters in the general election will be repulsed by Donald Trump that he can't win. Um, actually, let's put a pin in that and j- welcome in our guest to the Kudzu Vine in this new environment. Welcome back to the show, Miss Wendy Davis. Thank y'all. It's good to see you. Well, speak to you this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, th- this app is different, but it's not that good. It doesn't come with a camera. Um, but let, let's get into it, Wendy. Um, I'm going to start kind of where we were talking about. I'm just going to phrase it a little different. I know you weren't privy to all that conversation, but that's okay. Um, the Republican race, Donald Trump, he's been what Donald Trump's been for over a decade now politically, which is very toxic. He's added on tons of new problems, including this verdict. And let's set aside the 83 million and let's talk about the um, the fact that it's another 
uh, court of law saying or another legal authority saying he is a sexual assaulter. Um, why won't Republican voters move on from Donald Trump? Um, well, I mean, it's I guess that's a an easy assessment to make is that they won't. Um, I, I think that's an easy bet, but I don't know that that's a fact yet. Right. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, it was almost a year ago that the first E. Jean Carroll verdict came to show that he was, you know, the jury found him liable for sexual assault. Right. Um, this is sort of the second part that's a money part. And it really is an additional money part because he kept defaming her. Right. So yeah. um, it, it is baffling to me that, you know, we could just go down a dozen off the top of our head easily things that he has done or said that would normally be something that runs you you know, out of the race, certainly out of town, maybe. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But so it's it's troubling. But, you know, he's so far he has 32, you know, delegates that he's accumulated so far of, you know, they've got just over 2,400 delegates on their side for their convention. So he's got to get over 1,200 and he's got 32 of them so far now uh, on the Republican side, uh, normally the winner take all. Uh, that they have this go round after their March 15th contest, after the March 12th contest, they're all potentially winner take all, which makes it usually even easier for someone to win with just a plurality. But now that they're down to just two of them, you know, that's not really as much of a concern. So it, it really is just going to depend on whether Haley's money can hold out uh, as to how long, you know, if she just, if she makes it all the way to South Carolina, right, uh, to their primary, or if she, you know, drops out sooner. Uh, it's it's just not exactly clear, right? Um, but it is really troubling and frustrating. And, you know, every day he does something else. Last Apparently last night, I don't know if y'all have already talked about it, but he said something, you know, predicting that there would be a terrorist attack. And just like saying, you know, he hopes the economy collapses, right? Like what, what, the, what, what, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand the, the logic of it or the, I mean, it's just so completely unreasonable in my mind. Um, it's just hard for me to wrap my brain around. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you kind of a related follow-up question. You know, let's back up um, 10 months ago. The Republicans had, double-figure number of candidates, multiple sitting governors, yeah. multiple former um, elected officials, all these folks running, mm -hmm. and they had to have made the bet that either Donald Trump wouldn't make it this far or the voters would um, reject him, and they just were wholly wrong. Why did so many um, you know, viable Republican candidates make such a gross miscalculation? Um, because I think they were thinking back to their pre-2015 brains. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense that he didn't collapse under the weight of everything. Like, that's the part that doesn't make sense. Uh, them getting in makes a lot of sense, right? 
now some of them, like the ones nobody's ever heard of, what was that? The governor from South Dakota. I apologize to our friends in South Dakota, but I still don't remember that man's name. It starts with a B and it wasn't Bergman. It was something, some variation of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now him running was just loopy. Right. But you know, a Chris Christie running, a DeSantis running, Haley running, those weren't insane calculations. Yeah, D- Doug Burgum, or and I may have pronounced his name wrong, but he's from North Dakota. Sadly, he was actually like a tech uh, creator and probably somebody within the Republican side that could actually solve a problem without all of their reflexive, you know, take everything back to 1950 ideals. Right. But, of course, that will get you nowhere in the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to pass it on to Catherine, who will pass it over to Tim, and then uh, I may have something, a little something at the end to ask. Who knows? Catherine? Hey, Wendy. How's it going? <laughs> I'm hanging in here, friend. I haven't, I haven't seen you in a while. We need to um, fix that. Yes. I have lots of time now that I'm retired, so that's good. Um, what was I wanted to ask you about... Um, are you still a member of the DNC? I am indeed. So what's happening with the DNC? How are, how are we prepared? Jen, how are you feeling about, you know, how well organized we all are? Or what, what's, what's the scoop? <laughs> well, so there's, um, there's a lot of good news, right? Um, so the, the odd part to me is that we don't actually meet in the convention year until the convention, right? So uh, the the concept is that everybody's going to be busy with their primaries and getting their state ready for November. So there's a lot of um, value to that, but I'm, I miss that, that touch, right? Like particularly because we're still just feeling like we're getting back into meeting in person. But the great news is that um, unlike many times in the past, the DNC and all the various subsets seem to be out raising, out raising their Republican counterparts and money isn't everything. But if I have the choice between being ahead in fundraising and being behind in fundraising, I would much rather be ahead. Right. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And, and the DNC has, so for uh, the, what some people call an off year, of course, I never, think there are any off years or off months or off quarters right but um for that year before the presidential race year um the the dnc raised more money than they ever have before and they were not just sitting on it right they're investing in really what i think are very smart ways um continuing it's it's not um called the 50 state strategy per se, but Governor Dean's uh, brainchild and one of the things, best things I think the party has ever done, they are investing in every state party and they are investing in really smart ways and making sure that, um, that it's not cookie cutter, that each state has um, an opportunity to apply for what works best in that state. Um, but they've, they've really done a good job making investments in voter protection, making investments in um, programs that are reaching out to all the different constituency groups that are a part of our big tent, 
right? And um, doing things earlier than they've done before. So I'm feeling like that we're in a, a good place uh, and and that the, the president and the vice president are getting out and they're talking about issues that I think are going to highly motivate people on our side. Uh, there obviously are problems and issues. Uh, you know, it would be lovely if there weren't the international turmoil there is that, that's creating, you know, campaign turmoil on our side. And uh, but uh, I, I'm very pleased with the progress that the party's made. Well, that sounds great. And how to, how, how about um, do you feel like the states are pretty or I mean, I know the I hear you say the DNC is 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 doing some funding, but do you feel like the states are prepared? Are we you know, are we all ready for our delegate selection and are we sort of on pace to, you know, hit the pavement as needed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not just Georgia, but in general. Well, I think, I think the, the places where, uh, I mean, there have, there has been a lot of consistency of, uh, of leaderships in the parties, right? We've had some uh, chair personships uh, change hands, right? But um not a lot of turmoil, you know, sometimes we have a lot of internal fussing and fighting places. So, um, well, we're Democrats. What do you, right? Exactly. (laughs) Um, you know, this time four years ago, we had the embarrassment of the Iowa caucuses being a mess. Uh, I'm very, was so delighted. I can't, you can't imagine all the people I called in January being excited that our folks weren't trudging through the snow worrying about Iowa caucuses because the Iowa caucus is no more on the democratic side, which I think is a good thing for democracy with a little D. And um, so, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot we're doing, right. There's a lot more we need to do in, uh, in terms of delegate selection. I know that, that all the state parties have their, their plans have been approved in Georgia. I feel very confident that we we've already done, trainings all across the state. Um, proud of David here in the 14th CD for his leadership, right? We're ready. Uh, we've got a location already secured. We've got, we're getting the word out. We've had trainings. Um, so I feel, I feel very confident, um, that, um, that we're going to be ready, uh, to send a fantastic delegation to Chicago this summer. And, uh, I feel like the convention will be, uh, pretty fantastic. Well, that is all great news. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear about that. So well, I will pass it to Tim. Sure. And real quick before we leave it, folks, um, do know in if you're in whichever state you're in, uh, your state party should have your delegate selection process on their website. And it really is an, an open process. It's not like y'all will be probably remember like in uh in 2012 i i lost at the congressional district level i'm the ultimate insider and a woman who came out you know who just was a good democrat in her heart came and outworked me and won a delegate slot you know to the convention right like it really is a very open process show up on that uh first saturday in april if i'm remembering right off the top of my head it's the sixth here in georgia um, for that caucus, um, and it's we want more people. We want people participating. 
Thank you. Well, hello. And I'm going to pass the... Oh, go ahead. I'm here. Hello, Wendy. Good to talk to you again. I, I would like to start in right here in our home state. Uh, we know that the Republicans just got through with their latest round of uh, map drawing, uh, compliments of being court orders. And we got five Democratic congressmen in this state. And yet they continually target one. Every time they redraw districts, it's always Lucy McBath. Why her? Why do they go after her? What is it about her that they just really can't stand? Well, my guess it has to do with one little word, guns. Uh-huh. That, that's my guess. Also, she's a, a woman of color, and uh, and they have had a chance to make a district that was um, competitive but not a slam dunk for a Democrat, right, and, uh, and mix it up. Whereas if they wanted to go against uh, Congresswoman Williams, right, like there's there's hardly any way to slice a congressional district that is centered on the city of Atlanta into a way where a Democrat doesn't have a, a good shot at winning. So, so it's a, it's a combination of things and, um, and they're still trying to figure out what's going on in the Metro Atlanta suburbs, right? They, uh -huh. they haven't, um, they haven't given up on, the <laughs> you know, whereas, uh, you know, who, who would have thunk it just a few years ago that, Cobb County is decidedly blue and Gwinnett County is decidedly blue. Um, so they're having to go further out. They've lost their, their suburban opportunities. And again, there's nothing I see in terms of the, the issues that are, um, I think are going to drive this presidential election. Uh, that's going to change that, uh, particularly suburban women. Uh, I don't know what there is to excite them about Donald Trump. Yeah, now the, the new district that she's moving to, she should do okay there, though, right? Uh, yes. Hmm, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's, it's you know, she has the power of incumbency. Uh-huh. She's a, a, she works hard, does a good job, you know, reflects her district, um, is a, a dynamic speaker, knows how to raise money. Uh, is happy to campaign, right? Like, so it's it's hard to beat an incumbent like that. Hmm. Um, now, about Georgia in the election, a lot of pundits have started with this talk, and, and it there, there's even some talk that the White House has looked at this, thinking that perhaps this year North Carolina is more winnable for President Biden than than Georgia is, but. But but the president won Georgia by almost 12,000 votes, and he lost North Carolina by like 74,000 votes. I, I think they're misreading that. Well, but, well, well, they have they have a lot of you know they have a dynamic new chair in North Carolina, a young woman who's really fantastic and has produced a lot of good energy and good PR out of North Carolina, and I hope. North Carolina is a lot more competitive. It's when you dig in and look at the numbers, it's not on its face more competitive than Georgia. Um, but but it's going to take if 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 they miscalculate that, it's going to be a problem uh, because what the thing that worries me most about 
this November here in Georgia is that it's easy to forget that four years ago we had, in addition to the president, two U.S. Senate races, right? So there were a lot of people motivated from a lot of different directions and a lot of different resources coming into the state for a lot of different reasons. And we are going to have the president as the only for sure statewide contest on ballots across Georgia. Uh, Of course, we'll have congressional races, but uh, unfortunately, a lot of them won't be particularly competitive. And we're going to have this uh, theoretically have a public service commission race. um, But we don't know if it's two of them or three of them or (laughs) what's going to happen with that. And and frankly, public service commission is is not something people um, find particularly sexy, shall we say. Uh, I, I wish people cared more about it. If they looked at their power bill, they sure ought to care about it. But but we are not talking about jettisoning, jettisoning resources and money and cutting Georgia off in favor of sending those resources to North Carolina, are we? I, I, that's not something I've heard. And that's that's not something I I can see every everything that I have been tuned into or had every list I've seen, every priority coming out of the Democratic Party nationally that I've seen has Georgia as like not necessarily the battleground state, but a battleground state. We haven't not been on the list. And, you know, previously we would be on the list early and then get kicked off. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we held on to being on the list because of those Senate races four years ago. But they they know that they've got to get here and get here strong. Um, really excited that the the leader of the campaign here in Georgia is going to be Janae Wartell. She's fantastic and really savvy and knows the state grew up here, uh, did her early career here. She's she's a good gal. And so they're going to. Um, they're going to be strong. All right. I got one more question for you, and it's of a national nature, and then I'm going to throw it back to David for anything else he'd like to ask. Uh, But I believe that on the first Wednesday in November, we are going to wake up with an exact flip in Congress. I believe that the Democrats are going to win control of the U.S. House and uh, it's a pretty good chance they lose control of the U.S. Senate. Am I right about that? I hope you're wrong about that second part. Uh, but 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 it's in, it it is again the safe bet is that we lose the Senate because we have more territory to defend and harder right. territory to defend right. than the Republicans do. Um, you know, a third of the Senate being up this time. Um, you know, I, I really do think the, the majority in the house is going to be slim one way or the other. I think it's too soon to tell, um, the Senate races very, very often are, uh, completely nationalized. You know, it's, it's, it becomes about, uh, partisanship, uh, very, very often rather than about the individual campaigns. Uh, it's yet to be seen in some of these key races who the Republicans are going to nominate. You know, um, they have shot themselves in the foot before nominating the more fringy people. So, um, you know, we still have a 
we still have a shot. You know, it's not over till it's over. We've got a lot of good candidates raising a lot of good money uh, all across the country. So um, I'm, you know, Tester impresses me all the time. He wins when everybody says he's never going to win again. He wins. Um, And, uh, you know, the senator in Ohio has done a great job. So we'll we'll just have to I think it's too soon to say with certainty. But again, the easy bet is what you said about Senate. All right, Wendy, I appreciate it. Great talking to you again. Let me send it back to David. David? Yes, Wendy, kind of a follow-up question on Tim's North Carolina question. Yeah. And um, one reason I think that uh, North Carolina may be getting a little more attention, I mean, it is in that group of states along with us and Arizona and uh, Texas um, that may be trending more Democratic and us and Arizona flipped. Uh, North uh, Carolina flipped back in 2008, um, but then kind of flipped back. But last time we had those two Senate races, which were the only path really that was reasonable to flip the Senate. This time we don't have that. And North Carolina has a governorship with a very controversial, likely uh, Democratic, I'm sorry, Republican nominee. And so I think that may be one reason um, that they're getting that attention. My question, since Georgia would probably not be the tipping point state in the presidential election, you're running the, in my mind, you're running this campaign to prepare for 2026 when John Ossoff is up for re-election. Maybe some of those congressional seats get a little bit better. And also you have all those statewide offices that are up for grabs with several of them should be um, open seats or open offices, if you will. Uh Do you kind of share that vision that we have to run this race as a, in preparation for the bigger race for Georgia 2026? Well, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm not looking past this year because, because all the dreadful things that are on the ballot, right? Like, so I, I, I can't do that, but you're not wrong that we've got to have a, we got to keep building, right? So what we were able to do four years ago, we've got to keep building on it. What we did this November, uh, I know that uh, in the party, you know, the, the, the premise of how the Georgia, the Democratic Party of Georgia is putting forward their plans, their plans aren't, you know, stopping in November and then waiting a minute and get going. It's like we're on, you know, pedal to the metal now through three years from now. Right. So. Um, so it's those are very important races. Nobody's looking past them. Uh, there are going to be a lot of open statewide races in uh, 26. Right. It's going to be I mean, it's going to be all kinds of crazy. Unfortunately, uh, I can't think of a better word than that right now uh just being frightened about if uh if trumpism is hasn't died down by then yeah and and i don't mean that you don't take this race importantly you use this as a way a lab if you will to really push and figure out what'll work 
because it'll really, um, you know, have a lot. We have a lot more skin in the game on a statewide level next time. Well, Wendy, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And before you leave our listeners, if there's any way they can connect with you on social media or anything you want to share, use these closing moments. All right. Uh, yes. Thank you for having me on. Um, you know, I'm I'm on all the usual platforms. <laughs> Wendy for Wendy. us on Twitter and I'm hardly on TikTok or Instagram, but I'm there. I'm on Facebook a lot. Uh, just use the Wendy Davis, Georgia, right? Because there's other Wendy Davis in Texas who has a more of a pull with social media than I do, but, uh, but I've been a Wendy Davis longer than she has. I was born into being Wendy Davis. She had to get married to be one. So <laughs> that's one of my favorite books. But no, it's, uh, I'm always happy to be with y'all. Um, I've, if folks have an interest in finding out more about delegate selection, um, go to, you know, just Google Georgia Democrats delegate selection plan. And if you have a question, uh, find me on social media and message me. I'm happy to help uh, with details. Again, it's uh, a big tent. We want folks to be involved and Chicago should be an exciting week, even though I suspect we already know who the nominee and the vice president will be. So. Yes. Well, thanks again, Wendy, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks. Thank you, Wendy. Uh All right, Wendy Davis, a DNC member, among many other things. Um, let's go ahead and, and pick back up what we we're talking about, but we'll kind of go fast on this. Um, and that would be that uh, Nikki Haley, she's uh, the campaign keeps going. She did, once again, she had a better New Hampshire than she did um, in uh, Iowa. But now she's going to the next two races, I guess. Nevada, although the way they're doing theirs is kind of different. So South Carolina, I guess, is the big next step for them. So um, this is her home state, the state that she was born in, uh, regardless of what Donald Trump says, and the state that she served as governor, although the polling actually looks bleaker. So um, even though I think we still have another show before they actually vote there in South Carolina on a Saturday, Although, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, and I'll go to you first, Tim. How do you think um, the campaign plays out in this next stage? Well, in the next stage, first they go to Nevada, and you mentioned that they do theirs differently. They have both the primary and a caucus. Mm-hmm. The primary is largely a beauty contest with no delegates awarded. It will come first, and then the caucuses after. Uh, the Trump campaign is competing in the caucuses and Haley is not, which means Trump will wind up with all the delegates in Nevada. Then they come to South Carolina. And I really do think that's going to be her last stand. Uh, she left the door open this morning. She was on uh, Meet the Press and she left the door open for herself to just get close uh, in South Carolina and continue uh, because she was just asked point blank, are, are you going to drop out if you don't win South Carolina? Is it a must win? And she would not classify it as that. Uh, but really, 
Uh, with them turning, as as Wendy mentioned a minute ago, with them turning more and more to winner-take-all states, I, I just don't see where she goes after that. Uh, I, I don't see where she wins unless maybe she wins in Washington, D.C., or one of the places in the Caribbean or something like that. And that that's, that's about it. I just don't see any math. Uh, that would keep her in this race for a long time. Yeah, Catherine, um, what is Nick, Nikki Haley's, I guess, next move, only plan, what have you? Yeah, I, I have to agree with Tim. Uh, she has to, I, I mean, I, I don't know if she's got how much money she has or how, how her donors are feeling about giving her more money if she doesn't win. Or doesn't, you know, come really close to winning in South Carolina. I mean, it would be pretty embarrassing for her to lose South Carolina. I know that numbers don't look good, and I know that um, it's unlikely that she'll win. But to lose your own, your home state, and I mean, if if she if it's just her and a you know, if she do like a full-on campaign she could stay in as long as she wants like Marianne Williamson or something but I just don't see how donors and supporters can look at these results depending on South Carolina and think that there's a path to her succeeding so uh, uh, we'll see we'll see how she does What's I, I'm I this is the first I've heard that Nevada has a caucus and a primary. What the hell is that about? Excuse me. Pardon <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, Pardon keep it clean, me. Catherine. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the short version is they are doing both, and only one awards delegates. And I know Ryan Binkley actually pointed out that he registered for the I guess the primary that's awarding delegates, whereas the caucus does not. And that's no, what Nick you got Haley it registered. You I got, got it backwards. backwards. Yeah. yeah, it's just crazy, convoluted. So, uh, Ryan Binkley has a better chance of getting delegates than Nikki Haley does out of Nevada. But, I mean, I think, you know, cosmetically, South Carolina is the next big event. It's where the media is putting the attention to outside of, I guess, the Las Vegas media. And it's her home state. And when she loses that, and, and I mean, all indications that she will, it's going to be a huge embarrassment. Um, yeah, that's what so I I'm think. just not sure she, what the, the end game is here for. He is going to lose, and here is why. Republican voters are not voting for her. They're voting for Trump. He won those by 49 points in New Hampshire. The only reason she kept it as close as she did is that unaffiliated voters voted by people are going to be doing the voting and you know she's not going to find another New Hampshire this is Iowa again even if it is her home state and and she camps out there for a month hoping to uh, win it Uh, I, I just you know Republican voters their hearts are with Trump that is his party he owns it and that's being proved right now at the primary ballot box. 
box. And that's just that. Now, the news out of New Hampshire, though, guys, uh, the way the vote broke down, that's not good news for Trump in the general election. Unaffiliated voters, independent voters can sink him as they helped to sink him in 2020. But in these primaries, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just his clues. Yes. Um, well, let's go ahead and move on to our final topic of the evening, and, and we'll probably cover it just a little bit, but there'll be more going on here. Um, Louisiana is yet another southern state in which the court, uh, the, the congressional maps were challenged, courts ordered them uh, redrawn, and the Republican-held legislature with now a Republican governor actually kind of like Alabama did, ended up adhering, and I say in Alabama's case, finally, um, adhering to the um, court order. And they've redrawn the maps to create a new um, majority-minority district that um, I guess is more of the center slash, I guess, northern part of the state, not the area south of New Orleans, um, in which this new district created. Uh, two Republicans are likely to have to run against each other in the primary. Um, and they're actually two, apparently, of the more moderate, I mean, as moderate as a Southern Republican get, can get these days, uh, <laughs> two of the more, uh, whatever you want to use, but not not the crazy caucus like we've seen. Uh, two, two members that are not out of that will probably have to run against each other. Cleo Fields, who I guess is in the state house and ran for governor years ago, um, has already announced for that seat. Um, Tim, uh, how surprised were you that we had yet another state that um, is really a Republican state drawing another seemingly Democratic district? Well, it ain't because they want to. No. <laughs> they're, they're having to do it because the Supreme Court didn't uh, administer a death knell blow to the Voting Rights Act as many Republicans had hoped they would do when they drew these districts after the 2020 census. And then when they didn't get a favorable ruling from the Supreme Court, well, then uh, groups that were bringing this to court, they started winning all over. We just saw it next door in Alabama. It happened here in Georgia, although the Republicans uh, did some unique a map drawing to help themselves here. But in Louisiana, it created this second black majority district, and it's going to be a Democratic district. By the way, weren't you enthused to hear that the Speaker of the House, uh, Johnson, had asked the state to keep fighting the court order, uh, but the state chose to go ahead and, and go through with each this interested in you know, in Congress, he di he didn't care about uh, anything else. So, yeah, every vote counts when it comes to him holding the speakership. I guess is what right. he's thinking. Although <laughs> yeah. I don't think this Louisiana district, one way or the other, is going to save him or doom him. It's it's going to be uh, New York and Florida and places like that that like with the death knell in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Catherine, uh, your thoughts on these new districts in Louisiana? Well, you know, I'm sure they probably looked at the other states that have been challenging this and thought, why am I going to, why fight it? I'm going to, we're going to have to do it. So let's just do it. So good for them for 
for looking at, I mean, I don't know how they looked at it, but if that's what their approach was, good for them. Yeah, I, I think it actually shows a lot about Louisiana and Alabama, and it shows a lot about Georgia and North Carolina. And in North Carolina in particular, but I think it did impact Georgia as well, you have um, states where you actually have more non-African-American Democrats. And so particularly white voters that are Democrats, you can move them around anywhere you want, and you're not going to violate the Voting Rights Act. So in North Carolina, they did that in big ways in that research triangle and places like that, and they were able to create more Republican districts um, and re-redistricting. In Georgia, yeah. they couldn't actually um, create any more Republican districts, but they didn't have to go and create an African-American one. At least the latest appeals not said they did. In Alabama and Louisiana, where the uh, Democratic Party is much more African-American centric, um, there was just no way around it. And you had to create uh, a new district uh, that was leaning Democratic if you were going to abide by the Voting Rights Act. Tim, you yep. jump in? Yeah, that's, that's right. And one third, fully one third of the state's population in Louisiana is black. You know, and then and and they had one congressman. I thought, you know, that that just wasn't going to work, and and so that you're right. That that's why they they did it, and it's going to give uh, the Democrats another district, and, and we're happy for it. Even though uh, they're doing away with their jungle primary out there for Congress, and, and I guess that actually may. Um, I wonder if that's not necessarily that may be like rep- protecting certain kinds of Republicans. It is. Um, yeah, that's what they're doing. It, it's a weird deal, and we didn't get a chance to really get that into that deeply. But I want to thank Wendy Davis for coming on the show tonight. And until next week, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, y'all.